Hey, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Spruce. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> this is why you're you know not what? in it's, charge. It's a hard word to say. Even you screw it up sometimes. Hey, right, everybody. Ready? So what, 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 go ahead and start over. Hey, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Screen Playground Podcast. Now, today is a special one. Yes. To, today yes. is the Game of Thrones podcast. A Game of the Thrones. That's the right. television guys, show based on the novels of R. George R. 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 Martin R. This is not your ordinary Game of Thrones podcast. Because Thomas never watched Game of Thrones for the last eight years. He just, he sat on the sidelines. He said, you guys do that thing. I'm doing my thing. Right. And I, I implored said, I with will him, catch up eventually. Yeah, you said, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then I said, uh, I think uh, maybe about 10 days ago, I said, hey, you know, you should at least start watching it. And then at some point we'll talk about it. Well, if you know anything about Thomas, he's a master binge watcher. There was some guy, what was the guy? New York Times? What was it? What, it was who the New York Times. For? Yes. This guy for the New York Times brags that he watched Game of Thrones in five weeks. He watched the whole thing. Our man Thomas, yeah. for the sake of this podcast and for the sake of good television, watched Game of Thrones from. Season one, episode one, all the way to the finale, about 10 days. But that's an amazing feat because not only did he binge it to the point where he actually got to watch the finale the night of the finale, mm -hmm. but, I mean, it's, it's, it, it gives us a completely different perspective than everybody who's been, like myself, who have been watching it for uh, the, the past eight years, Thomas gets to see it all in one moment. He gets to see it all happen right in front of him. He gets, he gets a completely different experience than the rest of us. So it's so important today to talk to Thomas oh about God. this show because I... What? Well, you know, I, I almost feel like this is one of those reading comprehension quizzes. In <laughs> well, I'm not going to quiz you, but what, but I, but what I think is, is so important is that Especially, there's been a lot of controversy, and you've seen plenty of it on Twitter, mm -hmm. on social media, about this final season. And I've kind of argued that I think people have had too much distance between themselves and the previous seasons to see that season eight was actually a pretty true, pretty true to form. It, it was just, it was, it was shocking, and it surprised you, and it did all this stuff. But people had so much distance between, you know, season three and season five, and when, when... Uh, Daenerys walks out of the fire with baby dragons. Like there had been so much distance that maybe they weren't seeing the whole picture. And Thomas gets to see the picture, not unlike Bran Stark. He can kind of see everything because he saw everything right in front of him for ten days solid. So we're going to talk about Game of Thrones today because everybody's talking about it, and we have opinions. Everybody's talking about it. And our opinions are better. That's just my opinion. What I want to do is I want to pick your brain because you have, a, like, a, like I just said, you had that benefit 
of kind of seeing it all up front, seeing it all happen all at once. You've you've got it so fresh in your brain, the whole series in your brain, so fresh. Yeah. That I think you can you can lend a better perspective um, th- than most people can because some people are foggy on a lot of details. Well, um, I mean, the, the cramming that much of uh, a story, and especially a story as, as vast and dense as Game of Thrones, it it does also make it difficult to sort of remember so, all the details. You know, the, I, I think I get to see the continuity better and the yes. the, the broader spectra, spectrum of, I think of the that's... story, but... At the same time, I feel like I didn't have like an episode a week to watch and then contemplate and maybe like uh, read about people's uh, perspective on social media or, uh, you know, to rewatch any of the episodes, which I'm sure a lot of people have done. Uh, it's all just it's all just one after another. Yeah, but I but I do think that that broader view and that continuity uh, perspective is what is so valuable about your opinion because other people don't have that. Um, even people who do wa- rewatch the show and all that stuff, like they're re- they're rewatching their favorite episodes. I'm rewatching, you know, season six, episode eight, or whatever, what have you. I'm not like watching the whole show as it progresses, as the characters progress. You get to kind of see that big blanket. Um, uh, uh, story unfold, um, and and you you actually said something to me pretty interesting, it, and and I think this will roll right into talking about this season. Um, I think you were only about four seasons in or five seasons in, and you said to me, you know what this show is really about? It's about Daenerys Targaryen's rise to power. And I thought I and and when you had said that, um, I believe episode i think the battle of winterfell had just happened like like basically season season eight shows that yes the good guys are probably going to beat the army of the dead but amongst themselves there is going to be much turmoil because because now Daenerys knows that Jon snow is the rightful heir to the throne so that this it creates a, a huge rift between our good guys but so when you said that to me i go this is so interesting he can see that the show has been leading to her rising to power. Right. However, I would say having seen now the whole of season eight and the whole of the series, that I would sort of clarify what I think the show is about. Okay. Which is that power corrupts. And that... Power corrupts. Even people who start with the best intentions can uh, can be corrupted, and you know it can all turn sour, which is obviously what happened, you know, in the uh, the last season. Of course, you know there there's the uh, history, the family history of madness, and uh, her father, the Mad yep. King, that plays into this. Um, but I think. Aside from that, the point seems to be like this woman who seemed to be uh, the hope of a better world, as was repeatedly said, and even in the end had that 
still had that perspective. She didn't turn evil. No. It's just her perspective of what is worth it to get, you know, the, it was a, it was a, sort of the uh, the worst element of the ends justify the means. Right. It was that, what is it, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely? Yeah. And and I, I'm glad you said that because that's kind of how I saw this. It's it, I felt like seasons leading up to season eight showed that she was more increasingly more frustrated with her position of power, but also very aware of how much power she had and how much she was actually restraining. She's like, look, I could fucking burn all of you guys down. No problem. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to be different. I'm trying to be better. Um, but you could see that it just kept testing her and testing her and testing her. And, and eventually she snapped and, and, and I think she snapped for good reason. Now this is sticking with season eight. The moment when she finally torches the city, even after the bells have rung to me, I, I look at that and I go, yeah, she's completely alone. She's got nobody but Grey Worm and Grey Worm knows nothing but war. And so she's like, well, fuck it. I don't have the guy that I loved. He turned me down. Uh, I don't have my hand. He turned on me. Uh, I, I have, I have, my best friend was just beheaded in front of me. I got nobody. So clearly I'm going to have to like raise the place and start everything over because nobody here gets it. None of these people get it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds almost like you're ju- you're justifying her genocide. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, I think that's how she justified her genocide. Um, but again, like she she has that madness in her, right? That the Targaryen madness. That's like, like no, like don't you see? Like it, it's Thanos is the same way in the uh, the Infinity War and in, in Endgame. He he goes the only the only solution is is this. And you go, no, that's kind of a horrific solution. We don't really have to do that. But with so much power comes this urge to just wield it. And that's that's what Thanos did in the Avenger movies. And that's what uh, Daenerys does in Game of Thrones. She just goes, fine. Like, you guys don't get it. I'm going to have to do it myself. And the, the, the smart people, or not the smart, the sane people are going, uh, maybe we don't do that. How about we don't do that? Right. Now... I have plenty of issues with season eight, and I don't. Okay, let's talk about. I that. don't think the, uh, especially the finale. Uh, okay. I I was disappointed in a lot of ways. Couple things. One is I understand that they, in my mind, and a lot of people obviously agree with me, is they did not really do a good job in getting. Daenerys from point A to point B. Uh, it was very rushed. It, it's not so. But the issue isn't that uh, she went there. The issue is, it happened very suddenly, and it rang. Yes. It didn't entirely ring true. Um, because here's the thing: like she could, I when I saw what she did, I was kind of like, well, what's her justification? And then she didn't really have one, like because all of the problem was really with Cersei, and she did not go straight for Cersei as she could have. No, she knew where she no. was. Um, 
But I think a lot of people were also sort of disappointed in in the way the characters were disappointed. And I think that's something that isn't a flaw of the story. In in the I sense agree. that she was like everyone, the audience and the characters, sort of rallied behind her as the savior, the breaker of chains, you know, the the someone, you know, the the woman that's going to bring uh, a new peaceful world that's just and all of that. So they're kind of like going through the same thing where it's like, well, we believed in you and perhaps you're not what we thought we were and perhaps or you were and uh, Varys was right the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, re- he, re- he really was. I mean, Varys was somebody we should have been listening to, but it's tough to listen to somebody who has no dick. That's what the, that's what the <laughs> story, the, the moral of the story is. If you don't have a dick, we don't listen to you. <laughs> and that goes for the, the women and the eunuchs. There, um, there you go. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent that this season felt rushed and it's weird. It's a weird thing too, because I guess if I, I, I may be wrong on this, but I'm, I was told that HBO told them make 10 episodes, go ahead, like knock yourself out, do 10. And they chose six. I think they could have made this turn in 10. I think they could have done it. I think there was enough there and what they really relied on was like two episodes to make her full turn. Like they sort of led into it in the first couple of episodes uh, before the Battle of Winterfell. They they led into the fact that, you know, the Starks don't particularly trust her. The North doesn't particularly trust her. Um, and, and her kind of uh, resentment towards the North for not treating her so well. Right. But then all of a sudden it just like whoosh, like all of a sudden it just takes off. And I think yeah, it's a, episodes, it's they could have made that turn. It's a big jump from these people don't even like me when I'm trying to liberate them. I will kill them all, man, woman, and child, despite right. them re- surrendering. That was a, like a huge leap in, in in her character. And you know, I get well, that they tried to make it like they tried but it just rushed it it just it's just that's just the nuts and bolts of it is that they tried to add all the little things in there like i was saying earlier like you know she doesn't have Jon snow she doesn't have her best friend she doesn't have the support of the north right uh you know like which, they, which they should, did all that which it's should be the so beginning crammed. it should be the beginning of the journey to her madness not the breaking point right absolutely and and you know and some people argued that when the bells rang, that what that was was uh, she didn't want a city that would surrender to her because she's been in that position before. She wanted a city that welcomed her with open arms. So when she realized when the bells ring and they're surrendering, like, oh, great. Like, I just I just inherited a kingdom that's, that really doesn't like me. They just don't want me to kill them. But right. then it's really weird that she just turns around and burns them all to the fucking ground. You know, it's it's it, it was rushed, and that's that's one uh, criticism I can't deny. Right. I, I do think it was rushed. Um, I do think it's and, in the spirit of the show, oh, and I think it was always the intent to yeah. make our our hero the villain by the end. I think that that part I'm fine with, but yeah, it was just it was just rushed. I think you said something interesting where it was uh, where why did she. God damn it, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what did you just it's say? What did you just say that was interesting? Hard to say. 
I say a lot of interesting things. Um, but you know what? Like at at the end of the day, I th- I I do think Game of Thrones intended all along for her to be uh, the the enemy. It was it was the ultimate um, gut punch. Is what I keep is the word I keep or the phrase I keep using because the show has always gut punched you throughout the years. What if they played a long game the entire time to gut punch you with Daenerys, which made total sense to me. I was like, yeah, that's that's exactly the Game of Thronesiest ending you could get. I remember what I was going to say. You said something about how uh, she didn't want a city that would just surrender. Surrender. And right. not accept her. Because... Right. To her, it would be like, okay, you're surrendering. I've seen this happen before where everyone surrenders, but then things slide right back to where they were. And obviously, right. this is kind of what will happen here. Um, it's an interesting take, but it's one they didn't even, you know, they didn't express that in any sort of way. Exactly. No. Like, even, didn't. and even they, they had an opportunity, and it still would have been rushed, but at least. If she kind of clearly articulated that to Jon Snow instead of basically saying, oh, you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's not really explaining why you uh, committed mass murder on innocence. No, no. Uh, And, you know, and there's and there are there were nuggets in, in seasons six and season seven that I go, okay, I like I see how they're laying the groundwork, but it was subtle. And it, and she was still very much, um, I think, a good character for for the majority of season six and season seven. Um, even though they would sprinkle in those little moments where you realize she was she was ignoring the advice of her advisors. Um, they they uh, multiple times asked her to show mercy, and she's like, you know, mercy's not going to work. Mercy's not going to work. That's not that's not how this works. Well, she, she I, kept. I mean, she, she kept doing that, but it was she did it was never listen. strong enough. She did listen on a lot of occasions, and especially to Tyrion. And Tyrion was always giving her bad advice unintentionally that did not work out. Right. Um, yeah. So I get I get that. You know, they they did definitely plant the seeds that this is a woman who needs to be, you know, her passion uh, needs to be tempered by yeah. sort of thoughtful, rational people. Um, right. Because she has these uh, qualities that are good qualities and good ambitions, but they're also quite, uh, as we've seen, deadly. If yeah. on chaps, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, I think in my conclusion of, of her ending in particular is that yes, it was rushed, but I also think it was, it was always going to go that way. I do think the books will end that way too. Right. Now here's an interesting question. Where did, uh, at what point did the TV show deviate from using the books as a source? Um, let me double check on that. This will be a moment of dead air. It's the Game of the Thrones, the Game of the Thrones. So the show deviates at season six. That's when it goes past the books. 
And uh, I think I've told you this uh, in the past, too, that definitely season six and season seven, to me, are tonally different. I think the comedy goes up all of a sudden. Like, everybody's a little bit funnier, and there's a lot, a lot more, like, goofy moments. Right. Um, but also there was this overarching feeling of hope that I think, and I think this might even address kind of why the creators might have missed the mark just a bit because I think they were giving people too much hope that our, our, that everything was working out. It, it all seemed to be getting better and the good guys were winning when they knew all along what they were going to do was pull out the rug from under us. I think they should have, they should have planted those seeds a lot harder than they did. And I don't think you'd have the same reaction to this season that, that, that they do, that, that we do. In hindsight, when you look back, there's there's a constant theme of power corrupting, and there's a constant theme of um, probably the right person to do, do the job is the person who doesn't want to do the job. I do think that they had, they did plant that seed off early and often, and I think that that uh, they chose the right king because he didn't want he didn't want the throne. Well, I I don't know about that. I don't know if if well, let's, Bran let's get as into the that, king actually. is a good choice, or any or sort of a lot of the ways that things were wrapped up. I didn't particularly uh, find satisfying. So let's talk about that because ultimately, right? Everybody tuned in to find out who would finally sit on the throne. Right. And the answer was the answer was Bran. The answer you, the answer go, was nobody because. The dragon, in a very on-the-nose, metaphorical scene, melted the throne. <laughs> yeah. I know. That was about the most ham-fisted moment in the entire series. Uh, in a series that is just master of subtlety, master of, of, of the finer uh, arts of filmmaking and acting and writing, gave us the biggest ham-fist, which was the dragon melting... <laughs> melting the throne it was a, that was that was the cheesiest moment in the entire series bar none yeah uh, well um, you know they did they did sort of uh, justify that with a one-off line uh by i think it was varus who said someone at some point but maybe varus said like dragons are very intelligent <laughs> <laughs> so there you go it's all good yeah. Yeah, the yeah. dragon. I, the dragon so completely int- understood that this throne was the source of all this misery. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think he would have been like, "Wait a minute, let me smell this handle. That's totally Jon Snow's hand on that handle." Yeah, I'm gonna fry him, uh, which he couldn't have done because Jon's a Targaryen. He would have survived dragon fire. Um, but uh, well, but now, but getting be, on to what do you mean? He would have. He wouldn't. He's a Targaryen. So was fucking her her brother that got melted by liquid gold but he was uh well there's something about him like he was shitty i yeah that, that I was the that was the woo <laughs> i don't the woo of it all was that he was shitty so he couldn't survive dragon fire or fire in general right i don't think it was necessarily a targaryen thing i think it was something unique to her but what do I know? I I haven't watched it for eight years. Yeah, I haven't read the books. I, I think the I think they get into that stuff in the books, and I'm sure somebody listening going, "No, they clearly said it in this moment." I'm like, "Okay, great." Right. Um. But so, 
So ultimately, in the end, you get Bran on a throne of some sort, or kind of a new idea, new a new idea of what the throne is going to look like. Um, and he's a guy who I, I think again, like metaphorically, it's like, oh well, the best person to lead us is the person who understands our past and how to not recreate those mistakes. Because um, even you know, I didn't I didn't want to see John on the throne in particular. I know even though I I love that character and he was probably the most Ned Starky of all the characters. Um, I just think he was he was. He was true to a fault, just like his dad. He just he he too loyal, too too honest. He he couldn't rule that way mm-hmm. successfully. So I liked that he wasn't on the throne. I thought maybe Sansa would go on the throne, but I actually liked the twist that she said no. The whole thing is I the North wants to be independent, so that's what we're gonna do. And I loved that. To me, that was like oh cool. I wasn't seeing that coming, and I like it. Right. And then no, I'm fine with that left, too, but yeah. I just think uh, it was sort of a, a questionable logic, especially coming from Tyrion, who is not particularly close to Bran in any way. You just go. Well, he got, it, just, guess, it just made me that, go like, "All right, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when you think about it, it's like, look, you know, they they didn't. I, it, to me, it seemed like kind of a moment of clarity. Because Sam sort of suggests it a little bit, and it, it, and it sparks a thought in in Tyrion's head, like, "Oh, like we always choose kings based on you know lineage and right to the throne and all that shit. Like, why would we? In this instance, we don't have to do that. This is like it's a great opportunity to go against like tradition and and convention and just go. You know what? This guy, this guy knows our past, and and he's he's got the most knowledge of any of us here." then we should probably hire the smartest person for the job. Right. That's how I saw it. I mean, I, I can understand if people are just like, what? Like, I, I wasn't that into Bran, so oh, it's not fun that he's the king. It's like, well, yeah. It, it felt very matter-of-fact, but, but to me, I was like, yeah, I, I get the decision. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Any other overall thoughts? What did you think of the Battle of Winterfell for season eight? Well, you know that it was awesome, but it was obviously that tonal shift where uh, it very much started becoming superhero action movie ish. Um, sure, and it's fine to have an episode like that, especially near the uh, the finale. There's certainly uh, a precedent for them doing like huge battle scenes. Uh, but it just seemed like all of a sudden it was all about these huge battles. You know, a little... It's, just it was just this, that episode in particular, or, well, or you, are you talking about like a trend leading up to that episode? It became more focused in general on the action. Right. And less about, you know, the characters and their sort of... Struggles. I mean, they still had it in there. They didn't abandon it completely, yeah. but the focus shift is what I'm saying. That's an interesting perspective. Um, you know, I, the way I've looked at it over all the years that I was watching it and all, that kind of slow build to this stuff, it didn't come across like that to me because what it felt like to me was, um, you know, a lot of um, chess pieces being shuffled for, for five or six seasons 
and then that leads to major conflicts that have to be resolved. Like, like in at least in this world, those conflicts are resolved like on the battlefield through blood and 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 war. And uh, so, so for the first five seasons, you get more political intrigue. That's kind of it's a political thriller basically for the first five seasons with a, with a couple of fight scenes here and there. Uh, maybe the Battle of Blackwater might have been the biggest fight scene in the first five seasons. Um, outside of that, they were just sort of moving all these chess pieces around and overturning these houses and upsetting these people. Uh, and 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 sh- and the power vacuum was starting to create a, a tension that had to be released. And to me, that's why, in my opinion, that's why I think it was more battle heavy near the end because it was like, okay, well, you know, we've been talking a lot of shit. Now it's time to throw down. Right, but it seemed like the whole season was sort of all about... Oh, you're talking about season eight. About the battle. I don't even know what's... <laughs> they they all run together uh, when you watch them in, in such a compressed time. But, yeah, I'm t- I mean, the whole shift to fighting the White Walkers, which I understood, and the Night King and all that, it... it I understood, right. like, yeah, you have to pay that off. That's the big, it's a big deal. It's a threat to the world. But it just seemed like all of a sudden it was all battle. Interesting. For a long time. Well, I mean, like, like that was the focus. Um, it was kind of more like, how are they going to defeat the White Walkers? Yeah, you and know, how the are first they two episodes. The Night King? Of... And it all became like military strategy and less about the characters and the intrigue and. You know, and I'm not complaining. I enjoyed it. No, no, but that's in, that's what I'm interested in is is that compressed look at it, where you're that that's how you that's how you perceived it because you're you're watching it all in a row, right? Exactly. Um, so I I hear you on that. That's cool. Um, I, and I do think the first two episodes of the final season kind of they kind of I, they were kind of the sentimental goodbyes, which I don't particularly care for. But I felt like maybe they were setting us up to say, okay, these are probably the last time any of these people are going to have meaningful conversations, so we're going to give you these episodes to show that. And I was like, okay, but you know, I, I think I think we, we again what we're talking about earlier, you could have you could have done a little bit more case building towards other things rather than just having these wistful goodbyes. Yeah, it was there was a lot of like, oh, let's let's make sure we wrap everybody up. Like, yeah, like a little postscript. And it was like, well, okay, I'd rather you left some things hanging and sort of uh, like more on a dramatic note. You know, it was like, okay, John kills uh, Danny. And then now we have all the, okay, where do we go from here? Yeah, it was was kind of like, like, this is it. It's all, this is what it's all come to. Him having to uh, destroy this woman that he loves and believed in because he knows it's the right thing. And then it's like, oh, so uh, what's everyone else doing now? (laughs) (laughs) You you know where I think this might have been more effective is if the last two episodes were one big long movie. Um, Because that, that major turn kind of gets paused right at the end and then you have to wait a week or in your instance you don't have to wait at all but you have to wait for a whole separate run-up 
to her dying. Whereas I think if, if you treated it, if you treat those last two episodes like a movie, then, you know, the first and second acts were, were uh, season or episode six or episode five rather. And then, and then act three was episode six. I think that would have been more effective, but you know, what do I know? Well, I mean, we could really go on for, for years about, uh, (laughs) we could go on a lot, there's a lot to unpack. There is, and I and I, I do want to wrap up season eight real quick by asking you one last thing. How did you feel about Arya killing the Night King? That was a big controversy for a lot of people. What were your thoughts on that? I loved it. I loved it too. Why? Why I'm were people not? I mean, of all the things to cr- criticize, I thought that one was pretty dope. Well, because uh, uh, people are idiots. That's one. <laughs> um, two. You know, I I think that. Maybe people were under the impression that all this buildup, all these face-offs between John and the and the and the Army of the Dead, were going to lead to John and the Night King facing off. But when I look at um, the show, I go, there was nobody better trained to sneak up on the most elusive person than Arya. She was. She literally spent the entire uh, the entirety of the series learning how to be the most stealth get the closest and get anybody she she was after um so to me it was it was appropriate because i was like well yeah john john just like runs head first into trouble every time he would he would get killed immediately by the knight's king just right based on how he's always been so the fact that Arya could could sneak through everybody and i loved that the build up where they 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 walk you know, the, all the the White Walkers walk into the area where the trees are, and the dramatic slow mo, and the wisp of hair as she blows by one of the guys, and he turns around just at the right time, but she gets him. I loved it. I thought it was such a great payoff. I loved it. It's funny that that people say like, "Oh, it should have been John," but then at the same time, one of yeah. the criticisms of the show is their uh, treatment of women. <laughs> Their right. It's like, dude, you just so, made Arya the biggest hero of humanity. What's wrong with that? Yeah. So go figure. Yeah. It would have. I mean, John doing it just would have been like, eh, okay, yeah. It would have been super predictable. It would have been very predictable, and that's not this show. Right. So Some, I, I did. I appreciated that. Sometimes to a fault. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, but now, you know, really what this show has been about now, I think we're going to get into kind of the, the grander show since you've gotten to see everybody, you've been sending me a lot of text messages every day going, I fucking love this person. I love that person. This is amazing. That's hilarious. This show is really about characters. Like it's, it's one of the best character driven TV shows out there. And and most, most of the good ones are, um, but let's talk endings. All right. We talked, we talked at length about, uh, Daenerys and where she ended up but let's talk about like let's talk about Cersei and and where she's gone through the show like her arc on the show how do you feel about Cersei who was like this hardcore villain she's a great great character an incredible actress yeah that too I mean the whole really, the whole cast really is good. amazing but she's sort of like the way Jon Snow is like uh, the the hero because you know what he is like you know what right. he'll do, you understand him. Uh, Cersei was sort of the evil version of that, where it's like you can always count on her <laughs> to be <laughs> to be ruthless 
and manipulative and yet in her own mind it's for her family so right it's all it's all justified and furthermore she doesn't really give a shit if it's justified and there's something magnetic about that even if you're like at the same time going oh she's so evil god jesus oh yeah no i think i think you put it perfectly i mean there were so many moments in this in the show where i thought she can't possibly be that evil and stubborn in her in her ways can she and then she dig in and you're like no oh my god you did it i can't believe it it was super like effective as a bad as a bad guy as a as a pro- antagonist she was incredible and you know at at the end she was sitting there watching her you know the 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 person who was supposed to be the savior yeah and she's obviously the uh, the evil hated queen, and she's like, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> look, look <laughs> about that. Yeah, here I am uh, at my window, watching my city be <laughs> burned. Not me. You, you know what she is? She she's she's Tammy two from Parks and Recreations, and then Tammy one shows up, and Tammy two like go like just goes, oh, never mind, I'm not the bad bitch. She is. I think there was a little bit of satisfaction that was played with that, where she was like, yeah, I, I told you. <laughs> and and Right. <laughs> I knew. She was sort of the one that was, her and Varys in his, his own way, were the ones that were like painfully aware that no one is that, driven and ambitious without some sort of ruthlessness and without some sort of uh you know her goal was to always sit on the iron throne and rule the seven kingdoms right she wanted to and she, she wanted it. to free people and help people but she never was like well that, you know the throne's not important what's important is helping people no it was always like yeah I, this is my destiny, and I must uh, do this for the betterment of the world. And it's scary to think someone that uh, believes that those kind of ends justify the means. And it's it's interesting that Cersei and some other characters were always suspicious of her. Whereas right. the more... Um, the altruistic characters. Well, the I was going like, to they went say, all in. Yeah, the optimists and the and the and the yes, like which is you know Jon Snow and and Tyrion. They they always wanted to believe that the best of her was the real her. You know, right? It, it took it took the skeptics and the cynics uh, to to see through all that and be like, no, you guys don't get it, do you? Like, she's talking a good game, but she's she is power mad and they can see it and and you know like you're saying guys like Jon Snow couldn't right and it's that's that's what's sort of interesting is that there's a degree of ruthlessness that you need to acquire that power. there was a line in the show i i think it was Tyrion who said something like the powerful always exploit the powerless. That's how be- they became powerful in the first place. Right. And it, Oh, man, what a bunch of great lines he's had. Yeah. And sadly, even though I believe he was the one who said that, 
he couldn't see it when it was right in front of him. Yeah, when, and he, you know, he also, you know, admits to being completely in love with her, which, you know, clouds your vision in that way too. You know, he he was he was completely just swept up in her on on top of all that. Right. And I'm sure that played a little bit of a role in in it for him. Um well, on the subject of of character arcs, um what do you think about Tyrion's arc throughout the show? I mean, he first of all, probably the consistently the best character on the show was Tyrion, played by the Dink. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, I I, I have seen a few uh, people critiquing the show, and even though I agree with their criticisms, I don't, I think they're overstated. Like, you know, people have good criticisms of, of the show, but then they, or how it ended, and then they also go like, so this show's dog shit, and... Yeah, it ruined that's it. Ridiculous. And uh, you know, I don't listen to that noise. Yeah, and uh, the these, but, but these on the stupid white Tyrion. male assholes shouldn't be writing TV shows <laughs> or or giving a, or giving opinions on podcasts. But how that relates to, to Tyrion <laughs> was, I saw a lot of people say, "Oh, he completely." changed characters he became like he was you know the sort of imp he was the drunken witty person and then he became like danny's lap dog who just you know made dick jokes and it's like yeah there was a shift but there was a shift from a man who had nothing to believe in and was skeptical of everything to someone who found something to believe in and found a purpose and was respected so yeah it, there was a shift but there was a reason for that shift that i thought was true so it's weird to me that people think like oh just out of nowhere he became a different character well again i think that that is what makes you unique in these in in this particular opinion circle jerk that we're having is that you kind of got to see it all happen at once, and you saw why Tyrion did what he did and the moves that he made. So there you go. See, folks, this is why we're not your ordinary Game of Thrones podcast. You're getting better shit here, guaranteed. Word. <laughs> I just want to di- I want to divert a little bit and say that I for uh, the character one of the characters I really loved and thought might even end up on the Iron Throne was Littlefinger. Um, and, and really all I want to talk about is how lackluster his death was that I happen to have spoiled for you by accident. But yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> you were literally, you paused it right before he was about to die. <laughs> I did. But but I, I will say, like, for somebody who was so good at moving all the pieces the way he did, I thought for sure he'd get within fingers reach of the throne from your compressed opinion, why do you think his ending ended where it did? I don't know. I I, I honestly think it was a little bit of a, a stunt death. It was a little bit of like, no one will see this coming. And right, they just did it to blindside you? Kind of. Like, I think they knew at some point uh, his his chickens would come home to roost. You know, but they didn't really show how they found him out other than just like you just have to assume, well, I guess 
Sansa knew all along. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think Sansa kind of learned from him. Like she she learned with her with her good intentions and with her with her that Stark blood in her, which is you know be a good person. She she used Littlefinger to learn how the bad people think. Right. Um, but it did come out of nowhere like this. Yeah, it did. Oh, you think you think it's worth and you know they the writers obviously set it up to mislead the audience that like oh his fing- little finger's plan is working he's turning the the stark sisters against each other and i'm just playing them like a fiddle and now oh what a trial and then it's like <laughs> nope you're on trial little finger dun 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 <laughs> yeah and you, um, it, and this one and i get it but it 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 just it did seem to come out of nowhere which makes me think they just wanted to kind of like shock people which is fine but okay um i did love the character fan... oh yeah i mean come on he's he's so good he's he's a he's incredibly um he's very much of that world that guy's a that guy's a tremendous actor he was great on the wire too yeah um Purely on fan service alone, how a scale of one to ten, how bummed are you that Brienne and Tormund never got together? Uh, ten. Yeah, ten. I mean, I just and I was really hoping with last night's finale, I was really hoping that there was just going to be a moment where Tormund is toiling away in like a river in the north or something and just living his wildling life, and all of a sudden he hears this horse in the distance and he gets up and. And she just rides up and is like, you know, come do battle with me, you know, and, and just plants a big old kiss on him. And he's like giddy as a schoolgirl, and he, and he and he goes with her. I was really hoping for that. But that also wouldn't be true to the show. Right. Uh, but it's, it's just so I was like, oh, man, if you're going to give me one thing, just give me that one thing. Because I love Tormund. I mean, what a what a wonderful character he is. He was like the uh, the. The happy-go-lucky version of the Hound. That's why they played totally, so great yeah. off each other. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, we're we're going to get into pairings in a moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, I mean, let's just get into it now. So, Tormund... <laughs> the, the, every now and then you, you, in the show, they they match people up. Uh, Tormund and the Hound uh, for... for a small portion of time was a lot of a lot of great one-liners, a lot of great, um, just sort of like like they were the they were the mirror of each other, right? Uh, this this they were these weird polar opposites where the hound would say something and the and Tormund would shoot back like, no, but isn't everything cool? And <laughs> the hound would be like, no, fuck, everything sucks. Right, and they they were both were like, uh, fuck everything, uh, you know savage warriors but right you know Tormund did it with glee and the hound did it with uh bitter cynicism <laughs> so it was yeah, kind of cool by hatred. to see these these two guys <laughs> who were sort of the same type of character but coming at it from different angles interacting right uh the probably to me the greatest interaction of the whole show uh, the greatest team up had to have been Tyrion and Varys. Uh, to me, uh, w- when the two of them got together, it was so it was so witty. 
there were so many layers to the things that they said. They 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 doled out like very important pieces of information. They were exposition uh, expositional characters, but they did it in such a fun way and such an entertaining way. And it was like you were rewarded as a viewer if you weren't staring at your phone. If you sat there and watched those two talk, you got incredible dialogue you got um a lot of information that was very important to the story and you did it and it was all wrapped in this just wonderful smarmy uh just smooth as silk uh delivery from these two actors i i I loved that pairing that was my favorite pairing yeah i agree but i i i kind of think Tyrion and anybody i mean oh well Tyrion and and jamie were great they were. They were good, and they had their whole their whole brother thing was, I think, a really good thing. Yeah, I liked that whole dynamic between the the um, Lannister siblings. It was all. Oh it was yeah, very and well I, done. I also love when Bronn uh, shoots back at 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 Tyrion and Jaime and says, you know, you know, some guy goes out there and does the hard work, and then his screw, his kids go and screw everything up. <laughs> and, he, and they they look at each other and they're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um. Uh. But another great pairing too was uh the Hound and Arya. I think is is one you and I both celebrated. Like what a great pairing they were. Yeah. I mean, I I'm I loved how the Hound went out, but I honestly yes. was like, well, I'm so disappointed. There definitely won't be an Arya and the Hound show now. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if the Hound got on that ship with her to go west of Westeros. How great would that show be? That's greenlit. Like you just greenlight that show. Yeah. It it would they be end up, uh, they end up in America. It would be pure gold. Yeah, it would be. It was they they I, they, were, they were really good together. I love the there was like this great contrast. Like they were both sort of in these in this bitter and shitty place, but one is this you know oaf of a man you know and a gnarled and disfigured hardened warrior and the other is this like sweet little girl like a little <laughs> who's also hardened and bitter like i really love that about those two yeah and the the sort of uh crisscrossing parallel journeys where you know i think the hound became a little more compassionate and and softer mm-hmm. for him for him and Arya became way more, uh, you know, cynical and sort of violent. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then the thing is, like, you have to commend the show that it's so easy to just oh, let's take some mismatched characters and stick them together and hijinks ensue. But right, they always played it with a lot of subtlety and nuance and i really appreciate that like it wasn't just hey let's get some easy laughs by sticking these two together yeah yeah your typical comedy where you you do the the brutish guy and the and the overly optimistic young girl you know like that's always a thing it's like this was not that no this it was, was much more um, complex very complex and these characters giving each other something and I love those last few interactions in season eight were probably some of my favorite of the whole final season um, because it was clear like they they knew they were at a tipping point and they're like, this is probably the last time we're going to hang out together. 
but we're not gonna we're we're not gonna be all sappy. We're not gonna be. It's this isn't gonna be a big teary goodbye. Like I am who I am, and you are who you are, and we're gonna say these words. And right underneath that is I love you. Like you can hear it in the things they're saying. Like thank you for being my friend, but I'm not gonna say that out loud because that's not me. Right. And I loved that. I really loved kind of their theirs was maybe one of the more satisfying endings for me. Um, especially like how Arya goes out into the world and how the Hound gets what he wanted in the end, which was to fucking kill his brother. And he got to laugh. I don't know how many people picked up on that. He laughed right before all that was, right before they tumbled into the fire. Yeah, I saw that. And that was, that was closure. That was like, holy shit. He, he's like, yes, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm totally going to kill my brother. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, such an amazing character. Oh man, I really, really love the Hound. Um, I think an underrated—not underrated, but because I think I think he's gotten plenty of acclaim. But someone that I I think, especially the way his character ended up, but I really appreciate uh, the 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 whole entire arc of Jamie Lannister. I loved that arc. I, I'm curious, yeah, you seeing it in, in such in such a tight. Uh, uh, timeline your thoughts on Jamie overall I think in real life people don't always follow you know people do weird things and people evolve and people think do things that are out of character and mm-hmm. and I think Jamie was a very complicated character mm-hmm. and f- he was from the beginning he was always getting pulled in different directions you know he was the guy that was in love with his sister to a fault to the fault of everything else but he also understood that you know it was an addiction it was a it was his his fatal flaw and he wasn't necessarily proud of it but he tried to do become a better man but he always was pulled back by that by his devotion to cersei and I think so. I that think people exact, saying that's out yeah. of character. It's not. It's him going off, you know, trying to become different, trying to better himself, and then backsliding when it came down to Cersei or anything else. I, I, I love that you used this is the exact same word I was going to use. He's an addict. He's 100% an addict. And, and what you see is him trying to get clean. Even throughout the, the show, you even learn kind of kind of why he is who he is and how he makes all these choices and and the weight of the world on him and he you know ever it was very controversial when he left Brienne to go back to Cersei but when you think about it in terms of an a, an addict character what was going through his head when he was laying in bed and he was looking out you know and, and Brienne sleeping soundly he's thinking Cersei's going to die and I'm not going to see her again I know that and I can't I I cannot rest on the idea that I'll never see Cersei again. I have to see her one last time. I have to do it because I'm an addict. I will always go back to her. It will always be me. Uh, and I think I put that in my in my Twitter shout outs. I was like, you know, shout outs to Jamie for showing that people never change. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like an addict will tell you they're always an addict. They're j- it's just how long they've been clean. Um, and he was he was as clean as long as he could be. And then that was it. That was the tipping point. Well, that's the thing of him when he has those conversations with with especially with Tyrion 
but also just in general when he's talking about Cersei and he's like, she's done horrible things, she's a monster, blah, blah, blah. That's not, he's, I, I feel like he's always sort of known that. <laughs> you know, if a heroin addict curses heroin and says how it's yeah. awful and terrible and you should never do it and then they're shooting up five minutes, that's not out of character. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's totally, it's totally legit. It's it's a it's a very legitimate thing, and I thought the scene, you know, a, a, the very a very controversial scene from this season was when you know um, Brienne runs after him and is crying, and a lot of people took that as her being weak and like crying over a guy because the guy, you know, that was her her first uh, her first time was with Jamie. It's like no, she's crying because she knows that she's never going to see him again because he he's going to do the wrong thing again. You know, just like you would cry if your child was going to, you know, is addicted to meth. And he's like, I'm leaving right now and I'm going to go score because because that's what I do. Right. You know, you would have the same reaction like, please, no. Like, I loved that scene. And I think people just completely misconstrued it because they because, again, I think there was too much space between the Jamie that always was and the Jamie that was in front of them. People didn't see that. But you saw it. You saw it clear as day. Thank you. I am genius. Love it. So uh, you are genius. <laughs> the uh, yeah, and I think that's interesting. The the same thing. There was a lot of critique about uh, how female characters were treated. The reason people, I think, were so critical and disappointed is because the show did such a good job of making the the women strong but also you know vulnerable and making them fully right. fleshed out characters and right you know showing the range like, of female characters you know and and so when a character does something great and then <laughs> they do something horrible or whatever you know obviously Daenerys would be the most uh you know, obvious, heavy-handed of, right. of that, but uh, people got like, well, what, what, you know, oh, she's strong, but then she's running after a man. Well, you know, that those things are both, one doesn't negate the other, you know. No, it doesn't, and, and I heard a lot of great female writers on Twitter coming to the defense of the show. They were like, no, like, you can be both. It's okay to be both. We can't have Wonder Woman all day long. You can, like like a, a woman can be vulnerable and strong. Um, she can she can she can be uh, you know rash in her decisions and also measured, just like a guy can. Like you're you're showing off the full range of somebody, and and the full range of somebody is all the good and all the bad. And really, I think the bad, if you want to call it that, for some of these women in, in these situations. It wasn't bad. It was just showing like, like I have sympathy. I have compassion for the person that I'm that that uh, that I'm reacting to in this moment. Um, except for Daenerys, who just turned fucking crazy. Right. Another case of a strong woman must be evil or crazy. <laughs> and I uh, honestly, but, I get that. Like, I get that. Oh, it, yeah. it kind of sucks that this this woman who was like powerful and liberating turned out to be you know corrupted by power slash someone insane 
uh, yeah, that's uh, it. Kind of sucks because it was nice to have that, and we all, I, I, you know, yes. if you're a feminist or or whatever, you love seeing that a character like that, a strong woman who can like you know, hold her own and, and try to make the world a better place and all of that. So it's heartbreaking to see it, you know, not pan out that way, but that's the story. It was heartbreaking for the characters. And honestly, what kind of ending would people want? Like, would you want her to just liberate the world and everything would be great? And everyone would be like, Hey, this turned out well. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the show that you bought into for eight years. Well, it's just not how that show goes. It would be kind of boring. You'd be like, well, that's nice, but. I saw one writer. He even he just openly admitted. He goes, I don't want realism. Give me a happy ending. And I was like, that's super weird for a writer to have that take. But his but his take was like I don't I don't want it to go how it should go I want it to go how I want it to go which is you know everybody it all works out and I was like that's a really that's a really strange take and it's a strange take to have after all these years watching the show because the show will shock the shit out of you so many different times and it and it will it will it will literally pull pull hope from your heart like mm, oh you like that person sorry they're gone. Like that's that's what the show has always done. So it was really weird. That that take to me is baffling. Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't you want a happy ending. That's why sure. it's interesting when you don't get it, and boring when you do. Because yes. <laughs> you're like, you know, it's not dramatic. It's not. It doesn't force you to t- sit here and talk about the show and think about it. If you're like, well, hey, everything worked out great. That's very satisfying. Yeah. And then what? <laughs> what's what's there to stick with you? Yeah, some some people want that though. It's weird. that, but you know, hey, you can't please everybody. And you you could have gave them that, and they still would have had something to complain about. Or you and I would be complaining about a perfectly Hollywood ending ourselves. You know, you can't win. You got to make a choice. It's hard enough to end a show. It's it's even harder to end a show that literally the whole world is completely obsessed with. So. You know, hats off to them for doing what they could do with that. Right. And, uh, yeah, it, it was not as uh, dismal <laughs> a failure as people, a lot of people are making it out to be. No, no. And and you when you consider, yes, okay, there's, what, two million people at this point who have signed a petition to rewrite the final season. There's still hundreds of millions of people who never signed that petition. Do people think petitions are law? <laughs> I, I don't know what they think. It's 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 weird, and, and, you know, the noise of the internet is... I try my best to ignore it. It's tough, because I really enjoy Twitter, so, like, I see a lot of this shit. But it's like, you know how hard it is to come up with this stuff? And then, you know, someone will shoot back, well, I just came up with a better ending. It's like, well, you did, but you didn't set up the show. You just came up with an ending you like. Sure, I could come up with a bunch of endings I'd like, but I didn't have to do all the hard work to get to that end. And 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 I do believe that the people who put this show together, um, they they set this up to end this way. I think it was. It, and when these books come out, people are probably going to be pissed again because Danny's still going to go crazy again. It's still going to happen. Um, yeah. So now I'm sort of in uh, post uh, Game of Thrones hangover mode. 
Yeah, what do you do now? Now that you've spent the last 10 days of your life absorbing Game of Thrones, what do you, like, what's going through your head? Uh, Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, you might you might hear that, folks, on the next "What If" podcast. <laughs> you might hear that Thomas is uh, a few is a bit uh, obsessed. Yeah, a few Game of Thrones references just randomly thrown in there. Yeah, I'm I'm Ben but I'm Ben cause... Wyatt. <laughs> but I, I I I I absolutely loved the show. I was okay with the final season, even though it was a little rushed. I still liked it. I still felt it was true to the show. I really enjoy all these years of entertainment that I got out of it and and all these incredible actors that just I'll follow them anywhere like they just they all crushed it they were so incredibly good. Yes. I agree. And I I think it's yeah. weird that uh for a show that was I you know that flawless for as long as it was. Yeah, okay, it it didn't stick the landing, but Really, that makes you hate everything that came before all the great TV that and storytelling that came before it. It seems weird yeah, to me. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And you know what? Like, and that's why only people a are of shows people, that did stick the landing. People wouldn't be that upset if they weren't that entertained and and obsessed beforehand absolutely there's no middle ground here like everybody either loves what happened or hates what happened and that's a testament to something that's incredibly uh riveting and irreverent and and you know has gotten into the 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 psyche gotten into my damn psyche (laughs) have you been dreaming of dragons none of you are fit to leave the dothraki (laughs) oh man well we did it i guess we did it it feels like there's so much more to talk about though that's just the weird Uh, we could just keep going and we could go on for weeks and weeks it's no wonder what are the people who did podcasts for the last eight years do because they probably like made their bread and butter off these podcasts What, what what can they do now they don't have a show to talk about uh i don't know that's a good question let me ask but you this. Otherwise, the f- yeah. W- did didn't the uh, the Euron Jamie fight seem to come out of nowhere? Oh yeah, uh, I mean it it was it was like. But here's what I justify about the Euron Jamie fight, because some people go, "Well, that's fucking bullshit," and it is. But the show has done that again and again and again and again and again all over the years. Somebody comes at the very last second. If Jamie was 10 seconds ahead, Euron would have missed him and that wouldn't have happened. You know, Euron comes onto the beach just at the right time as Jamie is trying to get into the cave. That has happened so many times in the show. To me, it was it was 100% like, you know, in line with how the show handles these things. They always come down to the absolute last second. Always. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't... I'm not mad at it. I just go. No, but it was it was one of those like what? Why him? He just he just so happens to come out of the water. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I love their. Uh, I love the way he he actually did die though, with Cersei and the crumbling building. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was appropriate. That, that was that was on the nose, but in a good way. And it, that's right. It all came tumbling down on us, didn't it? <laughs> and uh, the dink, the I, the dink having to pull the rubble off of him. Yeah, act yeah. acting his fucking ass off, oh. like the dink can only do. I love that guy. He's incredible. I and I and I'm not like a Johnny come lately to the dink. Yeah, I, I I first found out about him on the state the station agent, which was the, the his first major feature film. Yeah, and I was like, whoever this dude is, he kicks ass, and then he just kept kicking ass, and to the point that now he's the most beloved actor in American history, to put it lightly. This side of Paul Rudd. Right there's Paul Rudd and there's Peter Dinklage. There you go. So that's our take, I guess, right? Unless, That's it. Because if if we're going to keep going, we'd have to. That's the thing we could do. We could just uh, start doing a Game of Thrones podcast, uh, starting from episode one. <laughs> <laughs> we could, and and it would be good and riveting, and people would enjoy it. For all those people who no longer have a Game of Thrones podcast to listen to. Yeah, those people could listen to us. But we're we're not going to do that. We got other shit no, to do. We got, I'm too busy. I gotta leave. Sweet. Uh, so, what else do we need to plug? <laughs> Screenplayground.com. I've heard of that website. I think that's the website where you get all your all your coverage needs. You got a you got a script out there that's ready to be looked at. That's ready to be critiqued in a constructive way. That helps you get the notes you need to take that script to the next level. We got you. We screenplayground.com. We do got you. And uh, we have our What If podcast, which will be out a new one on Wednesday. What If Wednesdays, folks. Look out for it. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that stuff. Google Play, uh, Patreon and the screenplayground.com blog. So, yeah. If you put screenplayground into any search engine, you will find us. We're that good. All right, Sir Patrick of House Guerra. Sir Thomas of House Cunningham. I bid you adieu. Fuck off. Long live the hound. Long live the hound.